so glad they're here and so glad he's going to come minister the word to us tonight. Brother Green, come. Give him a hand as he comes tonight. My family loves you. This church loves you. Praise the Lord. The devil thought he had me. He thought I was dead. He thought that I would give up. I think all of us have that testimony. I do. Amen. What a privilege to be back with you. 14 years of celebrating anniversary service today. And, uh, you know, when God is so good to us that He gives us good gifts. You know, the fivefold ministry are gifts to us. And if God has gifted you not with just a pastor, but a good pastor... I think it's appropriate to let them know every way you possibly can. Amen. And we want to say how much we love and appreciate Pastor Ed and First Lady Candy. We love these people very much. And uh, just glad that they're in our lives as well. Say more about that tomorrow. And all the people in the house today that are guests and visiting with us, wow, you've made this day wonderful just because you came. And special honor to... Uh, Superman, brother, brother Reeves, out here. It's Chris, isn't it? Chris Reeves. That's what I thought. And Lady Reeves, God bless you and those that are with you, and then, then our friends over here. It's good to see you, Pastor Matt. We love you very much. You know, not not every pastor has a first lady with him that's an angel, but this one does. So. <laughs> Love Angel, I think she stepped out because she was embarrassed I'd say something kind about her. <laughs> love and appreciate them much. And all this church, we love Rack. Such a privilege to be with you. I love my wife. So glad that my luscious is in the house today. And um, I'm going to direct you to the Word of God. Uh, I know that you are ready. And if you weren't wanting the Word of God, you'd just had a hold down right here in the Holy Ghost. So I know you're wanting... The Word of God, and I feel like God has given me some answers for some people. Some have fasted and prayed that God would speak to them this weekend. Some have come desperately with a, with a need for an answer from God, and I believe that God has given me some answers and some direction for us today. So I'm going to be speaking to you about strongholds and mentalities, strongholds and mentalities. Reading from Mark chapter 11. This is a powerful promise that Jesus speaks. Reading from verse 22. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Wow. Wow, what a promise. Verse 24. Therefore. Anytime you see therefore in the scripture, I was taught that when you see therefore, you need to look at the preceding verse and see what the therefore is there for. Because 
faith in God is so powerful you can speak to a mountain and it has to be removed, then I say to you, or because of that I say to you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. This gives great context to us. Because if you are honestly, openly praying to your heavenly Father, whatsoever things you desire when you're praying to God, that He will give you. It's hard to be selfish when you're talking to one who came to Calvary's heel and laid down his life for us. This is why James tells us sometimes we pray amiss. We need to understand that we're praying to God open face, open before Him. In trueness of who we are. And when you desire what you pray, believe you receive them and you shall have them. Strongholds and mentalities. God bless you. You may be seated. I apologize to my friend Lindsay as I told her that I have a three-hour message tonight. But I promised her I would cut it in half. And she was still crestfallen, so I'm going to try to do even better than that today. So... Uh, quickly get a principle across to you so you can understand and receive what God wants us to receive today. The kingdom of heaven is too awesome and too great for small dreams and small mentalities. Just so you know that I'm already preaching, I'm going to take my tie off. I'm just looking for an excuse, so it's all right. The kingdom of heaven is too great and too awesome for all of us to dream so small and to think so small. The purpose of God is for His people. When you enter into covenant relationship with God, He wants to so bless you with wisdom, with health, with with wealth, with relationships, that the other people of the world will see this is what it's like to be in covenant relationship with God. That's how you are a living epistle read of all men. When people see your life and how you're blessed, they should crave to love the God that you love, to serve the God that you serve. This is what he told Abraham when he said, I'll make you a nation, and if the nation will follow my law, all the nations will want to be like you and have the God that you have. We have an opportunity of witnessing and testifying by receiving the fullness of what God wants to bring into our life. Mark 10, verse 28, I want to share something with you. Jesus has just made a statement that it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Now... As a Sunday school kid hearing this, I wondered how was I going to get a camel into a blender and puree it so I could squeeze it through the eye of a needle. But of course, this is not what Jesus was talking about. They had gated cities at that time and huge gates and huge walls for protection. At nighttime, they would close the huge gates of the city. Commerce could not go in and out. However, they would have a small door called the eye of the needle. And if you arrived after dark, you would have to go through the eye of the needle. But for protection, this 
what this particular door or gate was so small that if a rich man who had a camel and merchandise perhaps on his camel arrived in order to get through the eye of the needle, he'd have to get off of his camel, his riches. He'd have to unpile the riches or the merchandise he had. He would have to duck down, pull his riches after him, get his camel on its knees to crawl, kneel through its way through the door. So the picture that Jesus is giving is if you're going to be a rich man in the kingdom of God, you've got to be willing to set it all aside. It can't mean more to you than the kingdom. So understanding this, there has been a huge out of balance in the Pentecostal world. And when I say Pentecostal, I'm stretching that to mean anybody that even knows what the Pentecostal experience is. And there has been preaching of name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, say it and don't pay it, you know, just... That there is this movement that has been preached among us of an easyism of riches. And that somehow God wants all of his people to be multi-millionaires. Can I tell you what you've been hearing preached in that world is way out of balance. God does not want all his pe- he does not want all of his people to be beggarly. And he does not want all of his people to be multimillionaires. This is why we have the body of Christ. We have different giftings among us. Some of us have gifts of healings. Why? So that the body can be ministered to with healing. Some of us have gifts of compassion so that love would be in the body of Christ. Others have gifts of teaching, gifts of prophecy, so that the body can be fulfilled. And if God blesses you with riches, it's not just for you and your family, it's for the body. I know that that's not what you want to hear as Americans, but I'm just speaking about the kingdom of God. So understand I'm not preaching this easyism, get rich. Put $100 in the offering tonight, you're going to get a $1,000 check tomorrow. That, that's not what I'm preaching. That was not a prophecy. Don't go crazy and think that I said that. It's what we hear and what we need to understand is way out of balance. It is absolutely a true principle that God blesses those who give. And if you're open-handed to give, your hands are open to receive from God. Let me just throw this in because I feel like I need to nail it down. One more that I'm not going to be able to nail down. Simply this, rain is a wonderful thing. But the scripture declares this, that on every house built, whether it's sand or rock, the rain will come, the winds will blow, and the floods will gather. It has come to my understanding that rain that is very good can be destructive when it has no outlets to leave. Rain can be very good, but if you are harboring it all to yourself, floods are going to happen to your life. So if God is blessing you on your finances, it might behoove you to find a lot of rivulets that you can somehow put off the blessing to other people and other individuals. I, So Jesus is saying it's easier for a camel to get the eye of a needle. And Simon Peter, not fully understanding what's happening here, starts his pity party. 
And in verse 28 of Mark 10, Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed you. He's saying, I could have been rich. But you remember all them boats we had, nets we had, people and connections that we could sell all the fish in the Sea of Galilee we're going to catch? All of that stuff. You remember that? I could have been rich, but I left that to follow you, Jesus. And Jesus says this, 29, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house, brothers, sisters, fathers, mother, wife, children, or lands for my sake and the gospels, but he shall receive a hundredfold. That's right, a hundredfold. <laughs> and some people say, well, yeah, I might be a pauper down here, but when I get over there, streets of gold and mansions are going to be mine. That's not what Jesus is saying. He says a hundredfold now in this time. What that means is this. If you're on a career path that was perhaps a shady or an ungodly path, you were a drug lord or you were a bartender and God saved you and you had to walk away from that career for the sake of Christ, you've got a promise that He will bless you a hundredfold. Right now. He also says He'll bless you. Houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, lands with persecutions in the world to come eternal life. Now, I think a lot of us believe that for family, that if you've had to walk away from family that don't believe in decisions you made, look how many people are your family. God's given you a hundred sisters, a hundred brothers, a hundred mothers, a hundred fathers. Thank God for the blessings of the family of God. That's in the same verse that he says a hundred houses and a hundred lands. How many of you are believing for a hundred houses or a hundred lands? That's what I thought. He lets us know right here in verse 30, with persecutions, that means it's not always going to be a rose garden in the kingdom of God. And not only do you have all of this blessing, but in the world to come, eternal life. Jesus is teaching this to when Simon Peter says, okay, I'm going to be poor because I chose to follow you and I left this great career. And Jesus said, your mentality is wrong. I'll bless you a hundredfold if you'll let me. The principle here is found, exampled in Luke chapter 16. This is the story of the rich man and the beggar beginning at verse 19. There was a certain rich man clothed in purple. Somebody say, rich and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. How about that one? Sumptuously. Say sumptuously. And there was a certain beggar, say poor, named Lazarus, which is laid at his gate full of sores. I always thought growing up that this was what was being preached to me as a Sunday school kid, that if I was going to be a child of God, I was going to be beggarly. But if I wanted to be rich, I could be ungodly. That's not, that's not at all what this is saying. It is declaring very emphatically, no matter how poor or how rich you are in this life, every man, every woman, every child has a soul that you got to prepare for. So, rich man sumptuously, Lazarus poor. Verse 21. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's seat, there's the problem. 
Because the principle of Mark declares this. Whatsoever you desire when you pray, ask in faith, believe in. So here is Lazarus, a child of the king. His father owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He owns all the cattle, all the gold, all the oil underneath the hill. He owns it all. But when the child of God, Lazarus, has a desire, Lazarus, your father owns it. So what do you desire for him to do? Oh, you mean I can have anything I desire when I pray? If I could ask for anything, you know what I'd really like? If I could get some crumbs that fall from the rich man's table. And if it's not too much to ask. I heard there's a little medicinal power in the lick of a dog's tongue. So if Rover could come lick my sores. Bread crumbs and dog tongues. Woo! Uh, You know I'm being facetious. But I want you to see this. Lazarus is more than a beggar in his social standing. He is beggarly in his mindset. And when it comes to the greatest things that he can desire as a child of God, his biggest desires is just for a few crumbs and for a dog to lick his sores. That's the biggest dream he has. That's the greatest mentality he has. And that's what he gets. It's a stronghold in his life. His beggarly mentality is a stronghold in his life. This is everywhere in the scripture. If you have been privileged to be any kind of student of finances, you'll find books that have been out there for several years now touting this. Rich Dad, Poor Dad does this. There's another book several years ago about what millionaires teach their children. But the principle is actually this, that you can make the same amount of money as the person beside you. And if you think like a multimillionaire, you'll wind up wealthy. And if you think like a beggar, you'll wind up broke. Same amount of paycheck, salary, money. It doesn't matter how much you make it, but it's the mentality you have concerning money. And as you, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm using money to speak about this because we're going to see the glaring mentality and then we're going to flip it to the spiritual. Are you okay with that? So it's about your mentality. And it's words that are ugly, nasty words like saving, budgeting, investing. I told you they were ugly words. And so here is words that they speak about that those of beggarly mindset are just trying to live from week to week. No matter how much money they make. Do you know in a span of 10 years, Mike Tyson made $350 million dollars. Anybody know who Mike Tyson is? Former heavyweight bank, professional ear eater. Mike Tyson. I'm going to hurt you so bad. Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson, $350 million in the span of 10 years. At the end of that 10 years, he was in debt multi-millions. <laughs> how can you spend $350 million? In t- I'll tell you how. He was raised in the Bronx, and from the first time that he could walk, anything that he could fight for, he immediately put in his mouth and ate. If he had one penny, he spent it. If he had two pennies, he spent it. 
So it didn't matter how much money he made unless he had a different mindset, then that's how he's going to end up. We see this in our world today with professional athletes that come out of a beggarly mindset. And if someone doesn't get a hold of them, they wind up in prison and murdering themselves. Aaron Hernandez? They wind up broke after making millions of dollars for just a few years of playing ball. They wind up in domestic... NFL is overrun with domestic disputes. This is in Hollywood where people who have a mentality of beggars suddenly find themselves with fame and fortune and acting like Nick and Poops. Britney Spears, Paris Hilton's. Okay, I know that's way back, but it's the only ones I remember. This is just the way it is. And unless somebody gets a hold of them and changes the way they think, they'll always be, I hope this isn't too offensive, trailer trash. It's a mindset. It's not where they live and how much money they have or they don't have. It's a mindset. And they'll always be ghetto. Not where they live or how much money and the way they think. And unless someone, a good coach, some team or some individual that loves them, has compassion, unless somebody gets a hold of them and trains them to think differently, it don't matter how much they make. Challenge of these books says that you take every penny away from someone that's a multimillionaire and they'll wind up a millionaire. We've seen that over and over. Donald Trump, long before he was a politician, was a billionaire that lost everything, every one of his companies in bankruptcy. And now he's a billionaire again because of the way he thinks concerning finance. I'm not being political. The way he thinks concerning finance. Can I tell you this, that Martin Luther King Jr. is one of my favorite American heroes. Because when he began to preach to us as Americans, he didn't say this damnable doctrine that is hurting our people today that is, oh, This people owes this people because of past atrocities, and we're going to demand this. That is so damnable to everyone in America. But what he preached was this. I have a dream that we can all be equal, to think the same way. We're not this race and that race. We're Americans. We're not ghetto and trap. We're we're Americans, and we can have the same education, the same mentality, the same process. This, This is the message he preached and why it flipped our world, our nation, upside down. I want to show you something in Hebrews chapter 11. This is our Hall of Faith chapter. In verses 23, 24, 27, 28, 29, and 30, all began speaking about Moses and the children of God, and they start this way, by faith. And after you read a few verses, you'll find that every miracle that is spoken here is a miracle of faith. But right in between 23, 24, 27, 28 is verse 25. When Moses chooses to suffer affliction with the people of God, enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Now, I understand what Moses is saying. But my question is this. What made Moses think that if he was going to fellowship with the people of God, he was going to be suffering affliction? Because God told him, I'm going to deliver him. I'm taking you to a land that flows with milk and honey. But when he thought about fellowshipping with God's people, he was like, oh no, I'm going to suffer affliction. The reason why he believed that is because that's all he saw of God's people. 
They had been slaves not only in their societal standing, but had become slaves in their mentality. And even though the scripture was very clear that they were 400 years to be in bondage and that 400 years was up, they still thought like slaves. They taught their children to be good slaves. Don't look at that taskmaster in the eye. Don't expect to have health. You're a slave. Don't expect to ever own anything. This is who you are. You don't expect any. And they began to give them a mentality that who they were was a lesser individual in this world and they should have no expectation. They did that so they weren't beaten. So they thought it was a good message. And they taught themselves to be good little slaves. In fact, the scripture lets us know that when God wants to raise up a deliverer, he looks throughout the whole land and from all of God's people, none of them had the mentality that would allow them to raise up and bring God's people out of bondage. So he allowed Moses to be put in that little basket and down the Nile River because of prosecution, persecution, and down where the crocodiles are biting. Pharaoh's daughter comes down to the river to wash her hands and hears a baby crying. And when she opens up that little ark, there's chubby chased Moses. He had to been smelling like something else by that time. And she falls in love with him and takes him home to the palace. What is key is this, is that Moses is now being trained in the courts of Pharaoh to have a different mentality. If he's raised solely with the slaves of Israel, he's going to think like everybody else. But now that he's living in a palace, when he walks into the room, he expects the atmosphere to change. Because he is someone of authority and power. When he speaks, he knows things are going to happen. Because he has authority and power in his words. He thinks differently. He has a different mentality. And God is going to use him for the supernatural as red seas are going to part. Plagues are going to fall upon Egypt. Great leadership is going to be needed. And there's got to be a deliverance to take them to a promised land. And he can't have somebody with a small mentality because they cannot do the job. This is what I am preaching to us today. There are strongholds in our life that are keeping us from our healings, from our blessings, from our miracles, from the ministry that God has promised us. And it's time to break free from these strongholds. So, let's see what these strongholds are. Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3. This is one of our candy stick scriptures. You know what that means? It, you know, it's like a candy stick. We want to get out and lick on it and stuff. We love this thing. Verse 20 of Ephesians 3. Now to him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we are, think. Because your thinking determines what you ask. If you don't have a mentality of who you are in God, then you'll never ask for anything big. You'll always just be asking for the minimum. God, just help me get through the day. Let me have enough finances to last through this month. Let me, and that's your mentality. That's what you're going to get. 
but he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that you can ask or think. So it's time to get a higher mentality. The reason why Moses is declaring in Hebrews that he chooses to suffer affliction is because he thought this was a two-week journey. Easily from Egypt's land, the path they took should have took ten days walking to Canaan's land. Or at most, fourteen. Ten to fourteen days. And so Moses is saying, I can stand on my head for ten days in order to get the people out of Egypt's bondage into a promised land that flows with milk and honey. And so he chooses to suffer affliction and to be a part of what is happening. And God declares with a mighty hand, he brought them out of Egypt's bondage. Every God that Egypt served has now been on its knees as they served the river Nile God, and God made frogs come out of it. They served the sun God, and the sun didn't show its face for a day. They served the weather God, and hailstorm rained down upon their cattle. Every God that Egypt had has bowed its knee. And they come out, the Israelites come out with a high hand. God leads them directly where he has proposed to them, to the Red Sea with Pihahirath and Baal Zephon on the other side. And when they get to the Red Sea, we know the story as we look back. But as they get to the Red Sea, they look behind them and what used to own them, what used to beat them, what brought them the hardest trouble in their life is now chasing them down again. The problem with Israel is the problem with us is that it's easier to get people out of Egypt than to get Egypt's mindset out of people. They still think they're slaves. God has decimated Egypt, killed the Pharaoh's son, and they still think they're slaves. To the degree that when they get to the first trouble after their deliverance, they immediately go back to their mindset. People with small mentalities always do this. They murmur, they complain, and they blame the leadership, and they blame God. I'm sorry, but this is Scripture. People with small mentalities are always murmuring and complaining at the leadership and they're blaming God and they're crying and they're bemoaning, woe is me. We know that God is going to part the Red Sea, take them to the other side, and what used to own them is going to die in the Red Sea. This is why the writer of Hebrews said that baptism in Jesus' name is likened to the crossing of the Red Sea. Because when you're baptized in the name of Jesus, the things that used to own you, legally they die. Your slave master that used to own you dies. And on the other side of baptism, you're part of the family of God. You have legal rights to his family, no legal rights to what used to own you. Even through the Red Sea, with all of their enemies dead in the Red Sea and dancing on their bones, they still have a small mentality. Long story short, they come all the way to the land of Cain, and finally, this is what God said He has given to them. This is yours to possess. That's like saying, this is yours. Come get it. Yours to possess. 
They went all the way to the land that God promised them and the flows of milk and honey and said, this is yours, and they could not receive it. Here's a principle you got to catch. They sent in 12 spies. God always does this in revival. When he's getting ready to bless a church in finances or bless a church in healing or bless a church in revival, he allows spies to go into the land. And there will be a certain amount of you that receive these blessings before anybody else. And they come back after spying out the land. Here's the problem why some don't have revival. Because 10 out of 12 said, Woo, God did blessings for me. But man, you don't know what I had to go through. They said, yeah, there's harvest like you wouldn't believe. Grapes the size of your head. There's harvest field that's ready. But man, the giants and the walls. And God was letting 12 of them taste what the whole nation was going to get. And when 10 out of 12 come back with an evil report, they talked everybody out of revival. Don't you worry about your journey. Just talk about the promises that God gave you. Don't worry about someone having to feel sympathetic for what you had to go through. Just lift up God, for He's worthy. And because they came back with an evil report, and they focused on what they were not going to have to fight, but what they thought were, in fact, this is their statement. We are grasshoppers in their eyes and in our eyes too. They told on themselves when they said, we are not people that own businesses and are part of the community leadership and and have this. No, that's not who we are. Who we are is grasshoppers in our sights. And what we deserve to do is hop around from one patch of grass to the next. That's who we are. And that's what they did. They could have possessed the land. But their mentality was a stronghold that kept them out. And so for the next 40 years, they wandered from one patch of grass in the wilderness to the next patch of grass, trying to find enough water to survive. They had manna falling from heaven. Their coats did not wear out. Their shoots did not wear out. How many of you think that's incredible miracles? Absolutely. How many of you want to wear the same clothes every day? 40 years. Eat the same food? 40 years. What was meant to be a temporary miracle of two weeks became their lifestyle because of their mentality. God oftentimes does miracles of sustaining for us. But if we get comfortable with sustaining miracles, we'll never move into our abundant miracle. So you've got to know when you're being sustained and when it's time for abundance. Let me skip that. Get on to where we're going. Moses becomes so frustrated with the people of Israel because their mindset can never change. That in his frustration, when God speaks to him and says, speak to the rock, in frustration, he hits it with the rod instead. God still provides water for his people, but he begins to realize Moses doesn't believe in the people anymore. And since he doesn't believe in the people, he's in that catch-22. 
I have to tell them everything that they need to do. People always come to me in immaturity. They never grow to know God. They never mature in their faith. And they become where they doesn't believe. They'll never change. And so God said, time for you to get out of the way. And so he raises up Joshua. Unique thing about Joshua, he's one of the two spies that came back with a good report. He's one of two people that survived the wilderness that was in Egypt when all the miracles happened. He was raised with a slavery mentality. But something has happened to him. He didn't spend time in Pharaoh's courts. But the individual that was trained in Pharaoh's courts is who he never let get out of his sight. And Joshua hung around the man of God enough until he talked like the man of God, walked like the man of God, spoke like the leader that was in his life, and it changed his own mentality. But for everybody else in the camp, he was different in his thought process, he and Caleb. So Joshua is a leader. Only two choices. Everybody else has beggarly mentality. So Joshua is raised up. Long story short, Joshua brings him right back to Jericho, right back to the land of Canaan again. And as he begins to approach for victory, three messages he preaches to the children of Israel that helps kill their small mentality and helps them go forward. Got to hear these messages. Pastor Joshua preached, first of all, hush about it. Shush you up. First thing he preached is this. If you don't believe the miracles, when people have lacked faith, open their mouth, they murmur and they complain, and they destroy their opportunity of faith. So if you don't have the faith yet, hush it. Don't you go home and say, well, pastor was feeling his chariots today. Did you hear what he was speaking about what that church is going to be in fire? If you don't see it, if you don't believe it, if you can't handle it yet, just zip it. Don't speak doubt. Don't murmur. Don't complain. Just keep the mouth shut. He said, this is what God is going to give us, and we're not going to speak one word of doubt. You exercise murmur and complaining. Doubt will live in you. You hear me? Don't let the enemy put that in your heart because it will come your mindset and a stronghold in your life, and you'll never get past Second message he preached is let's take a good look at what God says is ours. Let's look at it from every side. Let's march around this promise that God has said. Let's look at it from this side and that side. Let's talk about it. Let's begin to talk about God said this is ours. We're going to be blessed. We're going to have revival that turns this university and this city. This is what God has said. Let's, let's see what it looks like from this side. Let's preach about it from this angle. Let's talk about it from this angle. Let's prophesy. Let, let's just walk around it a little bit. And they walked around it Monday, and they walked around it Tuesday. There was no change, but they keep walking around it Wednesday, Thursday. It didn't matter how many times they prophesied. They prophesied again. They preached it again. They spoke it again. In fact, on the seventh day, they marched around it seven times. This is a picture of completion. They just marched until God gave it. They believed it. They confessed it. They walked around it. This is ours. We're staking our claim. This is what God says. Third message. This is how you get people from small mentalities to receive the promises of God. Third message Pastor Joshua preached is this. Now, kind of like Pastor was saying today, now we are going to worship God 
We are going to praise Him. We're going to shout. We're going to shout. We're going to lift our voice for the victory. Now, people with small mentalities have a hard time doing this because they're sitting back saying, I don't see any cracks in these walls. What's everybody getting all excited about? Do you know there's giants on the other side of these walls? Why is everybody getting so... And they can't get excited until after it happens. But here, when people have an understanding of high authority, and they know if God speaks it, take it to the bank. Write the check out. Because if God declared it, it's going to happen. So you can go ahead and worship Him. You can dance. You can shout for the victory. Even if the victory isn't here yet. Because He's a God of His Word. He cannot fail. And I understand He has that kind of authority. We're getting close. We're getting close. Most people don't go into the areas of greatness that God has promised them. Because they fear two things. The wall and the giants. But you look at the story. They didn't bring one sledgehammer, one battering ram. They had no idea what dynamite was. They did not bring the walls down. God supernaturally took care of the walls. So whatever you think your wall is, that's not the battle. The battle is not your past and what happened to you and your... That's not the battle. The battle is not the way you was raised, the dysfunctionality. Your battle is not... The battle is between your ears. It's not the wall. Because if you believe what God says, then He has the authority to fulfill what He's begun in you. He will fulfill in you. People, people don't... People are afraid to go into their promised land because of giants. What kind of battles are we going to face when we get there? We know what we had to go through just to have this weekend. What kind of battles are we going to have when we're turning the whole city upside down? You're afraid of the giants. Giants are called the sons of Anak. When you look up this word, it has a twofold meaning. It means to wear tightly a collar around the neck, and it means to provide wealth. It gives us a beautiful picture of what the sons of Anak were, these giants. They were slaves to provide wealth for God's people. Now, I think most of us in human nature would rather fight little people. Is that the correct word now? You know, just go bowling with You know, just little people. Because it seems like the battle's not too much. But how many of you want to sleep in a bed little man's built for himself? Live in a house. It's Goldilocks story, isn't it? Little man built for himself. A harvest that little man has provided. What God was doing is providing exceedingly abundantly above who we are. He wants to give us greater things than we had ever asked for, that we would ever think for. So he put giants in the land to provide giant harvest, giant miracles, giant wealth, giant relationships. And you look in the story, they don't fight the giants. God supernaturally 
took care of the giants. They did not bring the walls down and they did not fight the giants, the things they feared most. But the battle was not the walls and not the giants. The battle's between their ears. Second Corinthians helps speak this very specifically. Chapter 10, verse 3, For though we walk in flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. We shout over verse 4, our weapons of warfare are mighty, and they pull down strongholds. But the next verse identifies what strongholds are. Casting down imaginations. Imaginations are strongholds. What's that? That's things that you imagine to be true that are not. Things that you imagine that's going to happen that are not. Well, you know, there's this and there's that. And I know if I do this, I'm going to get sickness and I'm going to get that. And I'm going to get... Well, that's so far away from you. But you keep imagining it, you're going to talk yourself right into it. Imaginations are strongholds. Can I tell you this? Our world has gone crazy on conspiracy theories. If you wonder what is truth... Look in the Word of God. I don't know if you'll find anything about the moon landing, but I do know some other things that you'll find. Don't even have to mention it. When there are imaginations, what we imagine to be true becomes strongholds in our life. And because things that are not true that we imagine them to be, they keep us bound from the blessings and purpose of God. Second thing, after imagination is every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. My God, if we haven't seen that in our world in the past few months. Things that are saying what is truth. They're saying, well, science is true. Their particular idea of what science is true. The medical field, CDC is true. They're hearing all kinds of truth. Higher education is true. Can I tell you anything that exalts itself higher than the Spirit of God and the Word of God is a stronghold? This is being pressured upon us as Americans right now that somehow you're trying to make feel like you're just ignorant or way out of the purpose of what the world is doing if you believe the Bible because science or education or... Something that they say is a higher knowledge. Anything that is ought to step higher than God becomes a stronghold in your life. Well, I'm preaching, although some don't like it so much. Bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. When I've heard this all my life, bringing every thought to the obedience, I thought it was about temptation. That in time temptation comes to me, I've got to bring myself to the obedience of Christ and not tempt myself. That's true. But this is saying any ideology, any thought process, any kind of thinking that is different than the Word of God, you need to reject that because that's not truth. It becomes a stronghold in your life. When our children go off to universities and colleges, I love that there's a strong church like this one in the city of Athens. Because we need a word that is being preached truth. 
when they're hearing all kind of stuff about how the world was formed and all kind of lies about the evolution and all kind of thought processes. You need to know what thus saith the word of God. And when you hear all of this stuff converses the truth, then you've got to know it's a stronghold to believe that above truth. Am I doing okay, my brother? I have heard uh, through the years... In fact, I think this is why we quit doing testimony service. It's because good, precious people of God would stand to their feet and testify in front of everybody else. And I can remember one lady in particular get up and she she's so thankful. It's been such a hard week for me. And I've barely made it. And I just pray that you would pray that I can hold on to make heaven my home. And that's what she got. If that's your mentality, that all you're going to be able to do in this life is squeeze through heaven's doors, what a shame. And if that's your mentality, you'll never work in the miraculous, the supernatural, true kingdom leadership cannot operate through you. People should be trained to be authority leaders in the church. And too often, God has to bring our Moseses in from the world where you're trained in the courts of Pharaoh to know how authority structure works. Come out of the military to know how authority structure works. I should be taught in the church. Here's what Paul said to the church at Galatia and us today. He said, when you put on Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. You want to know what the answer for racism is today? Get in Christ. Because in Christ there's no black, no yellow, no red, no white, no brown. We're all just Christians saved by grace. And the world wants to separate us and bring confusion. But in Christ, we understand no racism because we're all the same. In our crazy, mixed-up world where if you have enough money, you probably could get away with murder. We probably have seen that. Buy the right lawyers, do the right thing, go to the right courts, get the right judge. You can get away with probably whatever. But in Christ... <laughs> You have the same legal rights regardless of how rich or how poor. Whether you're a bondman or a free man. In Christ, male or female, you're a Christian. So here's what we have to do. We've got to get a different mentality. Because that's a stronghold. Mentalities are strongholds. And while the world is telling us 100 miles an hour, all of these messages, trying to put strongholds in our life, we've got to have the mentality of what the Word of God says. So today, you might be a minority in this nation, but you're not no minority in the kingdom of God. So... Whatever message has been pushed on you that is contrary to the Word of God, you've got to reject that mentality. 
I'm not an American first. I'm a Christian first. Whatever the medical world has put upon you because what you might have opened yourself up to drugs and alcohol before, regardless of the best of man's wisdom that tells you to get up every day and look in the mirror and say, I'm an addict, I'll always be an addict. That's not what the Word of God says. Now, if you choose that mindset, it'll be a stronghold in your life and hopefully it'll be some help to you to go through man's wisdom programs. But if you want to be a new creature in Christ Jesus, if you want old things to pass away and behold all things to become new, then you've got to remember that you're not an addictive. That's who you used to be. But you have been washed. You have been saved. You're a different creature. I am coming against so many things that have crept into the church that we're trying to get this wisdom and that wisdom to help us with our Christian walk. Can I tell you the word of God is the answer and you can find the answer for every situation. Okay. Let's tie this up. In Philippians chapter 2, this is extremely powerful. Verses 10 and 11. This is the context of where we're reading. In the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth. Every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. That's the context. But let's pick up in verse 5. Let this mind be in you. That with, How do you think? What is your mentality? What keeps you from strongholds? Let this mentality be in you because this is how Christ thought. Are you with me? Who being in the form of God, that means made in his image, made in his likeness, and those that have been born again of his spirit. There's no more form of God closer than that in the world today. And being in his form, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now let me tell you something. Pride is twofold. Pride is sometimes saying, oh, I'm the best thing in the world. Pride is also saying, oh, I'm the lowliest thing in the world. Because it's not about you. Because he paid the, he thought you worthy enough. He paid the price for you. So that you are an equal member of the body of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being the form of God, thought it not robber to be equal with God. That means everything that Christ was, everything that God is in flesh, you can have also. Oh, God. So how did he do that? He made himself of no reputation and took upon the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. That's the answer. Your mentality has to know exactly who you are. We're ambassadors of Christ. We are the anointed called the favor of God. We are the purpose for this world to find His truth. It is us that He has chosen. Every hair of your head number, you are not the tail, you are the head. Everything you can believe you are. And at the same time, you've got to humble yourself like a servant. And put on the journey that he has given you. The journey of the flesh of God is to walk the journey of the passion of Christ. 
took on the form of servant and he just did what God told him to do. And in doing what he was told to do, he became so powerful that at his name, every knee bow, every tongue confess, Jesus Christ is Lord. This is the answer to the right mentality. You've got to know who you are. You are truly a child of God. Not in Christianity verbiage. You are God's begotten. When you were born again, it was of His Spirit that begot you. You are a child of God. You have rights because you're His child to everything in the Father's house. So... Let's bow ourselves to be servant one to another into this world. And if you do that, God will highly exalt you and make you powerful in ministry, healings, miracles, signs, and wonders. Let me ask you this question as I'm, as I'm finished. How many of you would honestly, I'm not talking about foolishness, but honestly, you'd like to be a multimillionaire. No, 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 more than that. Not you would like to be. How many of you feel driven that you want to be a multimillionaire because you want to bless the kingdom? You want, you want to pay off this church. You've got program. You, you want to send missionary. You want to be blessed in your finance, multi-millions for the sake of the kingdom. How, how many of you would like that? Okay. Put down your hand. Let me ask you. How many of you got up today knowing this principle, whatsoever desire when you pray, and you looked in the mirror and you said, God, it's me. I'm your child. Would you make me a multimillionaire today for your kingdom? How many of you prayed that? I'm glad somebody might have. The reason why most of us didn't is because our mentality is so low. Most of us are praying that, man, if I can just have more income than outgo. If I can just get my bills paid off, I can get my credit card a little down. If I can, that's what we pray, and you know what we're going to get? That's what we're going to get. How many of you would like to be powerfully used and healed? Not like. How many of you have a passion? You'd like to be able to pray for someone and see cancers eradicated? Hands down. How many of you pray to God today and say, lead me to someone with a tumor on their face, with a growth, with a cancer? How many of you prayed that prayer? Why? Because most of us prayed, let's have good church tonight, God. And if that's our greatest mentality, that's what we'll get. But if we realize who we are in God, and humble ourselves to serve, then it's going to be no big deal. Miracle signs and wonders happen in this church. At the hospitals, empty out to come to rack because that's where healing happens. At the university, begins to decline in numbers because true wisdom is at rack. That people began to, re- it's not going to be some pipe dream. It's the prophecies and the promises. And God is saying, here, possess it. I 
Now, if we have the mentality, we'll walk in it. If not, we'll wonder where we are for 40 years because we're grasshoppers in our eyes. I think maybe this was in the foundation of Pentecostalism that in 1901-1902 the Holy Ghost falls on Azusa Street and that other side of the tracks in Los Angeles. That's right. When the newspapers wrote about the powerful experience of Pentecost, they said it's just the poor, the helpless, mentally challenged. They said they rolled the floor showing that they are insane. And they slobber at the mouth and can't speak words intelligible. That's what they said. And we came from what we thought were the other side of the tracks and didn't realize that God had delivered us from Egypt. We thought we were still the other side of the tracks. Even just a couple of generations ago, our elders told us that when they preached truth, they threw rotten tomatoes at them. Rotten fruit. I've never experienced that yet. Don't, don't want to. Don't know when to bring fruit tomorrow. But I can understand how they might have thought because of their foundation that we're the lowly and nobody wants this. But the truth is, this is the answer. Stand with me if you just help me softly, sis. <laughs> Romans 8 and 7 says, The carnal mind is enmity against God. You can't think with this reason, you've got to think with the spiritual mind. Romans 12 and 2 tells us that we have to be transformed. That's the way we were. And we've got to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The experience of the Holy Ghost is bringing you into a new purpose. But it's easier to get people out of Egypt than to get the mindset of Egypt out of Having the Holy Ghost is new birth. You have legal rights. You're a child of God. You're part of the family of the kingdom. But you got to think differently. Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Commandment of Matthew 22, 37, I think is very powerful. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. Loving God with your mind is accepting His Word. I love what your Word speaks to my brain, my mind. You love the Lord that way. He'll renew, transform the way you think. So here's what you've been looking for. Shelby, would you... Man, I speak to you every time I come here. I love you, girl. You and your husband step forward just one step. The enemy has lied to you and told you because of your past, what has happened to you, what you've opened yourself up to, 
that you can never have completion in areas of relationship, areas of finance, areas of help. Enemies lie to you because what you used to be is not who you are now. You are a covenant children of God. Covenant together before God. You have all the promises and the fulfillments of the word of God. You are an overcomer. You are powerful. You are anointed. That's who you are. I got a word of wisdom for you. I feel to tell you this in the Holy Ghost. It's a word of wisdom. Don't be looking at all the different programs that are going to help you. That's not the answer. But if you want to know the answer, get your face in this word one more time and see what God says about marriage and see what God says about relationship. See what God says about financial blessings. See what God says about overcoming power. See what God says and live that life. You've got a Canaan's land that is promised to you. Giants bigger than what you thought, bigger than what you could have. I want every eye closed. I'm dealing with some things spiritually. Every eye closed. No one's looking around. Pastors, I got his eyes open if he chooses. I'm the only one looking around. I'm going to pray for you.